Welcome to Geek Out with Angie Fiedler Sutton, an ongoing discussion on geeky topics. Hello, fellow geeks. I know, in my last episode back in the end of July, I said I'd be getting back on schedule as well as promising that Nancy Cress would be my next podcast interview. Apologies again for the delay. The fun of doing this around a full-time job. I do still plan on getting to that interview with Nancy Cress, but an event that happened in late August takes a bit of precedence. Excelsior! I was a fan of Stan Lee before I was aware of who Stan Lee was. Like many others of my age, my first introduction to anything Marvel was the appearance of Spider-Man in The Electric Company. However, I graduated to reading the comic strip that appeared in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I still remember how floored I was when he told MJ his secret identity. To me, that just wasn't something that was done in superhero storylines. However, while I was aware of him as a creator, I never got too into comics for a variety of reasons. So it wasn't really until the Marvel Cinematic Universe got going that I started realizing just how much of an impact Lee had on the industry. On August 22nd, in partnership with the online fundraising platform Omaze and Make-A-Wish Foundation, there was a live tribute to Stan Lee. Hosted by Chris Hardwick and boasting a wide range of celebrities, they all came out to honor the creator. I managed to sneak onto the red carpet and get some interviews, sharing the space and interview options with one of the ladies from the Legion of Legends. I'm Marv Wolfman. How has Stan Lee's work affected you in general? Well, Stan is one of the only two writers in comics that I absolutely loved and created my own style based on. If Stan hadn't done what he did, I wouldn't be here today, I wouldn't be anywhere, because his work gave life to the characters and wrote them for a much, more, a much older audience than had been previously. And he was writing phenomenal stuff at a time that comics were not that interesting. So he kept the entire business alive as well. Comics have really become m mainstream lately. It used to be just a niche and a cult thing. In your opinion, why do you think it's become you know, more mainstream? I think this, the better comic books, the ones that Stan did, the ones that those of us who followed Stan tried to do, were actually stories about people. And even those who don't read comics fall in love with the characters because the characters are telling stories about people. They're telling stories that say you can make a difference, that you can make them better, you can solve a problem, and you can help others. And I think that optimistic viewpoint that Stan was so firm on um, just appeals to everybody. Here's a real hard question. Your favorite yeah. hero or villain? Favorite, favorite hero is two different characters. Uh, from DC Comics Superman, from Marvel Spider-Man, both of which I wrote. Uh, villain also, Doctor Doom from Marvel, Joker from DC. Um, what kind of advice would you give someone who wanted to get into uh, writing comics? Write what you believe in. Don't write for comics. Write your stories and then do comics as well. But if you only aim towards one business, that's all you're ever going to be. If you want to be a comics writer, I write comics, I write novels, I write video games, I write TV animation, I write a lot of different things. Become a good writer and then focus your energies towards all the things that you love writing. 
Dan Murrow, Screen Junkies. Joe Starr, Screen Junkies. Andy Signor, Screen Junkies. So how has Stan's work affected you guys in, in general life growing up? I mean, Stan, I didn't, I didn't learn of Stan until after I got so deep in comics and I realized, wow, this one guy was involved with, with, with the help of a lot of the people, but so many creations from Spider-Man, X-Men, Fantastic Four, Hulk, it just, it, I was... It was that coupled with the fact that he was so smart about building his own brand of the true believers and Excelsior. We've been talking about him showing up in the cartoons as his character in a way. It really, I think, he was so instrumental growing up with, with so many of these places that we escaped reading and through the cartoons. The X-Men series was a big inspiration for me as well. Um, so I think it's just, it, whether he realizes or not, it just sort of, I think, got in a lot of our cores of just for a storytelling and an escapism way. Uh, he was instrumental. Uh, there's not that many people who've created so many iconic characters or had a you know had a part in that so uh, it, it's hard to hard to say the exact amount but it's huge he he kind of pioneered and this is now a tradition in Marvel you see so many of their creators doing it but he's the master of it of engaging the reader beyond just the comic book it's like no I'm talking to you like these are made for you yeah. uh, you are part of this you're 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 the believers like you're the real heroes and this idea of like the comic books being made like not just for kids but like for you specifically and Stan set that precedent so well at Marvel of just this idea of like you know you're not just reading it you're 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 essential to the story because you're a believer and you you know that that's so great that, that's, that's for a comic book fan me nerdy kid growing up it's great like oh wow Captain America needs me that's yeah. great you know? I think you know on the internet it's easy to sort of create these like fandoms like WWE has the WWE universe and like Star Wars has their own fandom but like he was doing what we do online now, like decades ago. Like he was creating like a universe of fans together, which you know Star Wars didn't do that really. Star Trek didn't do that. Like he was the guy that anchored everything and was like, "Come on in! Like this is where we all hang out." And he made it fun and warm. He was breaking the fourth wall a long time before yeah. Deadpool was breaking the fourth wall. Yep. Um, now, Marvel uh, superhero movies have really kind of gotten m much better the last 20 years, and Marvel is really at the forefront of that. Better than uh, the original Captain America? I was thinking more, you know, David Hasselhoff, Nick Fury. Also a classic, yes. <laughs> um, as, as considering what you guys do, um, is that a good thing for you guys, or does that kind of make it harder for you? Oh, that's made a business for us. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, we have a lot to talk about, but I think as viewers, I mean, it's thriving more. I remember there was a point where Marvel almost sold to Michael Jackson, if I remember correctly. Like, so to see where it's gone from sort of ha not being able to find a place to make these movies to now the MCU, which I feel like every studio in the world is trying to emulate, uh, it's tremendous for all of us, and I think just for fun entertainment. And just as nerds, having Marvel movies to like pick at and make tiny complaints about is like a good problem to have. It's like a yeah. real good problem to have. Because like you said, otherwise it's Hasselhoff Fury, and nobody wants that. Yeah, it's, it's great to see... Hollywood, which is a business, for so long they didn't take comic book movies seriously. They thought it was for kids, and you know why? Why should we do a, a serious comic movie? We're just going to make a you know this dumb cartoonish one, and it's it's been great to see in the last 15 years really the sea change of people saying like, no, these are serious stories. They have themes that can relate to everybody, and we should be making those movies. And it's great now they are the blockbusters. It's great. What movie are you most excited about making an honest trailer for soon? Um, I mean, I, I was gonna say Wonder Woman, but I'm kind of nervous because it's so great. Yeah. <laughs> what are what, yeah? What's what? Uh, are you like anxious to get your hands on one? I think uh, Ready Player One will be a good one. Oh, yeah. I mean that's fun. We have when to see it out. first. Yeah, but I, I got a feeling. Yeah, I, I kind of dread doing honest trailers for Marvel movies because lately they've been 
good. And it's hard to do honest solid, trailers yeah. for good movies. It's a lot easier to do it actually for a bad one. The Mummy. Tom Cruise's The Mummy. Oh, yes. Be That'll be a fun one. Because yeah. I have a lot to say about that one. <laughs> yeah. A lot to say. Do you, do you have a favorite Marvel movie? Uh, Winter Soldier, I think. Or Iron Man. I feel like Iron Man has really set the tone for everything. And I think uh, Winter Soldier pulled off what most sequels can't by making it almost even better and, and the, the stakes matter more. Yeah, uh, Those are the two I always go to. Yeah, I think Winter Soldier and then um, just the, I still remember the day we got out of Iron Man and just were like, oh my god. Like they just pulled this off with like a C-list Marvel character and now he's everywhere. So uh, Outside of the MCU I am a massive fan of Spider-Man 2. Uh, Tobey Maguire's and Sam Raimi's second Spider-Man movie. I think that is maybe the quintessential superhero movie or at least the one that to me represents the most about what superheroes should be and what they mean to people I love that movie I have a follow up a favorite trailer oh wait oh that we've done does Deadpool count (laughs) that's Marvel yeah (laughs) the first Guardians was a fun trailer to do the F you were Marvel we can do what we want that was a good take yeah but yeah probably Deadpool's what kind of yeah having Ryan Reynolds show up to do it himself was uh, we're never going to top that no, no. <laughs> I'm John Schnepp Holly Paint just touch a little on how Stan has touched your life and your career sure well um feel like I'm saying a little bit of the same thing but, but it's like a it's a very it's a similar story with probably a lot of people uh, I got introduced to Stanley as a, when I was a little kid uh, going to the pharmacy and uh, you know going through that spinner rack and like finding this entire world of Spider-Man and the Hulk and Iron Man and my favorite characters were the Fantastic Four because I loved monsters as a kid and these were like mutated monsters who were fighting other monsters so was, but they were a family and that's the greatest thing about Stan Lee is he really was able to add humanity to all of these different characters that were a little two-dimensional in some of the other uh, other publications I thought Marvel was always able to add this humanity um, in terms of superhero movies have really become much more mainstream lately. In your opinion, why is that? I think uh, over the course of time, I mean, it's just been a slow development of, you know, as, you know, maybe if you look at the early 90s where there weren't really that many superhero films, there's literally Superman and Batman and a couple of like, you know, you had Punisher or The Blade or it was like, people didn't know how to really work with the superhero genre. Then you had X-Men, then you had Spider-Man, and those worked. Then you had a bunch of other films that didn't work. So it took a while. Then I think, uh, you know, in the the early 2000s, we had, you know, Spider-Man by Sam Raimi, you had the Batman trilogy by Nolan, and then Marvel started getting their groove on with Iron Man, Hulk, Thor, and then it kind of just launched this whole thing where people really saw what all of us comic book readers have seen for decades, which is like, these comic books have ultimate stories that tell amazing, uh, they tell amazing storylines about the human experience, the human condition. So I think they're just big special effects movies, but really soap operas. So I don't know how else to say it. I'll add to that, if you want to ask me a question. Um, I think it's modern mythology. I think we're, it's, it's new gods. We have new mythology, It's now it's in on our big screens, but it's not, you know, we've been telling stories for years and years and years, hundreds of years, thousands of years, and I feel like this is um, what people have latched on to now, and I think Stan is a huge, huge part of that, because he's created a universe of a pantheon of new gods, and I don't mean new gods, I mean, you know, yeah, that's, whole, DC, that's DC, but... that's what I meant, clarifying, 
Um, but uh, in any case, I feel like that's it's these are universal tropes that we continually connect to, and if they're told in different exciting ways, people will respond. And so that's what we're seeing with the Marvel movies and what Stan has done with Marvel Comics. You know, that's it's it's regurgitated myths, but it's also brand new ones at the same time. I would also add that I think like in a world right now that's really filled with conflict, when you have the morality of superheroes and the stories are told so well, where you actually have a, a Captain America and a Steve Rogers who kind of represents all those things that you were taught when you were a little kid, what America really should be about. That's what I think people are responding to with a lot of these modern superhero films, is that core, uh, the core morality, which uh, seems to be lacking in a lot of the real world. Uh, I was gonna say, are you thinking it's going too mainstream? I don't think it can go too mainstream enough. I don't think I, I, I'm not one of those people who feels like, oh, the superhero. There's going to be superhero fatigue. I feel like everything is in a transformational stage, just like how we have streaming television now. We didn't have that five years ago. So maybe some independent films, people are like, I don't want to spend money because I could watch ten episodes of it on Netflix or something. So everything is in a transformational. Uh, period, how we accept and in, uh, see stories. So I think that's kind of where we're at right now with this, the modern age superhero film. Michael Uslin, I'm the originator and executive producer of the Batman movie franchise and the author of my memoir, The Boy Who Loved Batman, which is published by Chronicle Books. Are you even allowed on the property? Yeah, you know, it's, it's this secret. I hope nobody knows, but I grew up the total comic book geek. And I read and bought and collected everything. I love comic books. And I don't, I'm not just a DC fan or a Marvel fan or an Archie fan or a Richie Rich fan. I, I collected everything. So I love the entire medium. Um, I was lucky enough to grow up just outside of New York City. And as a teenager, I got to go into the city and meet all the creators from the 30s, 40s, 50s. And hear all of their stories and histories straight from the horse's mouth. And um, I kind of became so passionate about my comics and my superheroes that my goal in life was to make it my work. And I couldn't be happier because I've been able to do that. What drew you to Batman so much that you want to do? Why Batman? It's a, it's a couple of reasons. First reason probably hit me when I was eight years old. Oh my God, unlike Superman or the Hulk, this guy has no superpowers. I mean, his greatest superpower is his humanity. And I believed in my heart of hearts when I was eight that if I worked out real hard and if I studied real hard and if my dad bought me a cool car, I could be this guy. So it's that identification with Batman more than any other superhero. Second is the Stanley theory of supervillains, that the greatest, most long-lasting superheroes are ultimately defined by their supervillains. And Batman, inarguably, has the greatest rogues gallery of supervillains ever created including the best supervillain ever created in the form of the Joker. Third thing for me was his origin story. It was so powerful. I never thought as a little kid about my parents dying. And that origin story is so powerful that today we find it not only transcends borders, it transcends cultures. And it's gut-wrenching. And I think that was part of the magic. And then, of course, the car. I mean, the car. <laughs> Now, um, the Batman movies, especially the Keaton and the Bale ones, were both kind of the predecessors of turning the comic book movie industry. I mean, they were kind of goofy before Keaton and then Bale kind of relaunched it. Um, why do you think that was such a success? It was such a success due to the genius of a couple of individuals in particular, and I don't use the term lightly, 
Tim Burton is a genius. Anton First, our production designer, who was a dear friend of mine, was a genius. And Tim had the vision. He was able to figure out how to show the world their first serious, dark comic book superhero movie without them unintentionally laughing. And it was incredible. And the key for him was that it's not really about Batman, it's all about Bruce Wayne. And that was like a whoa moment for me. And he absolutely nailed it. The other thing he said was Gotham City has to be the third most important character in this movie from the opening frames. And that was, again, part of the magic that made it work, the world building that takes place. And then you add Danny Elfman's score. These three gentlemen, I don't care what genre movie you go to see today, you can still feel or see their influence. You, you can see the influence of Tim's vision or of Anton's design in the Gotham City and the Batmobile and Danny Elfman's notes. They're, they're circulating out there. It had such an enormous impact and it changed Hollywood and it changed the comic book industry. It was just announced that there's going to be a Joker movie in the works. Can you say anything about that? I would never take anything away from the studio announcing what the studio wants to announce when the studio wants to announce it. All I'd like to say is that over the decades, there have been so many amazing, talented people who have made comic book movies and Batman movies a success. Not everybody gets a spotlight. Um, take the comic book artists and writers and colorists and inkers and editors. They've been bringing us back to Batman every single Wednesday since 1939, waiting to see what happens next. That is an incredible accomplishment, and I always like to see the spotlight shine on them a little bit as well. But whether you're talking about production executives, studio bosses, directors, writers, everybody involved in the process, it can't work unless they're passionate about it. And it can't work unless they really love these characters. And I think that's what makes all the difference in the world ultimately. I think there's, at the end of the day, there's 10 rules to a successful movie. Story, 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 story. Character, 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 story, and story. And if you follow those 10 simple rules, you're gonna have some successful pictures along the way. Now, um, what specifically about Stan Lee do you like? Everything. Um, I met Stan when I was 11 years old for the first time. And um, he took pity on an 11-year-old who showed up at Marvel's offices in New York looking for the Baxter building because I thought it was real. <laughs> it was, um, anyway, back in the 70s, I started to teach the world's first accredited college course on comic books. And the very first call I got from the professionals in the industry was Stan Lee. He called me in Indiana. I couldn't believe it was him. I call it my burning bush moment. I was talking to my God, and he did everything he could to help me. And over the years, he's not only been an idol and a mentor, he's become a friend. Uh, we've done creative projects together, and he is the P.T. Barnum of comics, and he just keeps going and going and going and going, thank God. Uh, and we all owe him everything for what he's been able to create. Yeah, I'm Michael Rooker. Uh, how has Stan Lee affected your life besides, you know, <laughs> well, the uh, uh, the obvious is I, I loved his material when he was uh, a younger man uh, writing the the different characters and and uh, the comics and so I was a big comic book uh, guy when I was a, a younger man and when I was a young when I was a kid so that that uh, I mean that affects your entire life as well you know gets your imagination flowing and and now I mean just think of where we've come from the 50s and 60s, and now what we can do in cinema. 
basically, it's amazing. Actually, my, usually my follow-up question is that, you know, comic books for the longest time used to be a very niche thing, especially comic book movies were kind yeah. of comedy kind of things. And they've, it's only been the last decade or so that they've gotten serious and more legitimate, quote-unquote. Not only serious but, and more legitimate, but they, uh, the, our ability to, 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 uh, to make them that way. I mean, our the technology we have in filmmaking now is so advanced. Yeah, we can have the Hulk pick up a car and throw it down the roadway, right? Or Spider-Man jumping from and and flowing from building to building. It looks so real. What we can do now in cinema, and and it's amazing. Do you think that's the primary reason why they've gotten so successful? Absolutely. Absolutely. Through the through the cinema and the how visual it can be now, it's it's by far has a, 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 the comics are now at a, at a, a you know it's a renaissance. All those old comics, we can do anything now in cinema. So beautiful. Who's your ultimate favorite hero or villain of all time in comics? In the comics? Yeah. No, I, I I well I I I have to say it over and over again because it is just like. I can think of other characters that I've appreciated, and I appreciated a lot of them. But I'm really, I, I you know, I loved reading about the Hulk. That was one of my favorites as a kid, and it still is one of my favorites. Now, the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, what kind of makes them unique is, is the humor of it versus the more serious, you know, other Marvel movies. Uh, was that what drew you to the, the part? No. Then what drew you to the part? <laughs> the money, the payday. <laughs> I actually got paid. I could I could pay off my or pay a good portion of my mortgage off. So that's what attracted me to the to the series. <laughs> I am Sanjay Numbiar, an author and creator of the Super Amazing Princess Heroes. We're here at the Festival of Books for the LA Times Festival of Books at USC, having a great time. You can check us out at superprincessheroes.com. Also on social media at, at Princess Heroes, and we are geeking out with Angie Fiedler Sutton, having a great time doing so. You can find Contents May Vary, the home of the Geek Out podcast, on Facebook at facebook.com slash contentsmayvary. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr, all at the handle Angie F. Sutton. Finally, the site now has a newsletter. Be sure to sign up for it over at my website, angiefsutton.com. And now back to my interviews from My name is Peter Shinkoda. Uh, I, I'm on uh, Marvel's Daredevil. I play Nobu Yoshioka, the head of the hand organization. And I'm here to celebrate with Stan Lee tonight. It's a lifetime achievement. Man's a god. So how has Stan Lee's work affected your life besides the obvious? Um, well, as a, as a kid, I read a lot of comic books. Novels too, but comics books. Massive, massive fan. I was a Marvel Comics fan. DC a little bit, but Marvel was my, my thing. Um, just adored him growing up, like I adored Spielberg, and uh, turns out that both these gentlemen have ended up being my bosses, you know, and the two biggest projects of my life. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 since uh, I was walking around, I guess, in diapers, since I can remember, since consciousness, been a big fan of Stan's. Now, uh, comic books and comic book movies uh, used to be kind of a niche thing and, and more you know, not taken seriously. In the last 10 or 20 years, they've really kind of changed. In your opinion, why is that? I think, um, you know, everybody enjoyed them, but in the realm of movies, I think it's just that uh, effects have caught up 
with the subject matter so we can uh, approach these seriously and 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 put out a product that looks real you know it's it's um, believable it's, it's it's a lot to do with the effects you can see the attempts made maybe 30 years ago you know the old fantastic fours the hulk spider-man but uh there was something lacking and i, I certainly think it was the, the technology at the time do you like that, well obviously you're a little biased, but do you like that superhero movies have gone darker or superhero content has gone darker? Um, there are, in, in, in aesthetics, in the look of it on, on, on screen, a lot of it's dark. Uh, maybe I don't mind that so much as I mind if they just made all the characters dark. I, I, I don't mind the darkness of the screen, the aesthetic. But they don't have to make uh, 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 characters that were inherently kind of warm and happy characters. They don't have to go that way with all of them. And I, th I think there is a tendency to go that way. But there's nothing wrong with making, uh, you know, making a character that is, is, is cynical, has a big heart. Let's say a great example would be Wonder Woman. Uh, we saw that one fly. So as far as uh, superheroes are concerned, don't have to go dark. Don't have to go dark, certainly. Now you're, you're in Daredevil. Is there a better... TV better than movies, or do you think it's just different? Uh, it's different at this point, um, but I gotta say, TV does uh, it does have the, the the parameters. It allows for a lot more character development, and uh, with the character development, we kind of has uh, it creates more audience um, uh, involvement and uh, the relatability. So I think that TV is, is is a good chance of telling more fuller stories, perhaps. Because lots of times we don't have the time for this. Sometimes we just want to go in for a two-hour, you know, assault on your senses. So that's where the, the movies, the, that format is still good. All right. I have to ask a really hard question. Who is your favorite superhero of all time? Uh, it was uh, clearly it was Spider-Man for me growing up. His name was Peter. I was Peter. Um, I relate to the whole being a nerdy teenager. It's kind of like that. Uh, but I also like Daredevil which I'm in because of the Japanese content of the, the hand organization. So it was, it was clearly those two. I love uh, Wolverine also because he went and uh, he went to Japan. Well, and that leads into the diversity angle of comics. Uh, do you think it's getting better? It's getting better not for Asian guys, though. <laughs> clearly it isn't. I won't, I'm not competing around the bush anymore. For Asian men specifically, it's, 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 a, it's a rough road. Nothing's getting easier for us. Hollywood should be doing? Um, I don't know. We've asked, we complained, we've whined as, a, as an Asian community. Nothing's really changing. I think at this point we're beating a dead horse. Uh, I'm producing a film for the first time in my life that will star myself. I think it's uh, Asian community's responsibility to take the reins and uh, not be asking anymore. Maybe producing and, 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 and taking responsibility in their own hands behind the camera. Start uh, pushing out more creatives instead of lawyers, uh, engineers, doctors, and uh, computer uh, tech uh, guys. Let's get some uh, Asian writers out there, more, more performers, producers, um, and those are the, the power positions, the decision-making positions where we can make a difference. And what can the audience do to help? Just encourage it, and uh, you know, down with white supremacy. I don't know. Um, just, it's, uh, just, yeah, yeah. Continue being out there and patroning the movies and 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 and, and helping uh, helping the, the the Asian American cause by uh, just being vocal and being their support. Um, you know, uh, being ignoring things is just being complicit nowadays. So I'm thinking that uh, it's everybody's responsibility, it's everybody's fight to to uh, to uh, push for an equal playing field. How can people keep up with your your film and all. 
Uh, they can follow me uh, on my social media outlets. Uh, I'm at Peter Shinkoda on Twitter. Um, I have a Peter Shinkoda fan page on Facebook. Or you can just reach out for me at the real Peter Shinkoda. I'm quite friendly. I'll respond. Yeah. I'm Paul Clementiev. So, it's, tonight's about Stanley. How has Stanley affected you besides the obvious in your career? Uh, I think he's just a legend, you know, like to uh, every one of us, right? Uh, he's so inspiring and he has so much life and so much talent and he created so much and such interesting characters, you know, male or female. And, um, you know, I discovered his work by watching the, the Marvel movies. I, I was, to be honest, I, I didn't really read uh, comic books. But um, I don't know, he's just like an amazing, uh, an amazing person too, so... You know, it's an honor to be here tonight. What do you feel it draws people to watch comic book movies and read comics nowadays? I think it's just, it puts you in a, such a, a different world, you know, and uh, I don't know, made me dream, you know, to, to see all these movies with uh, people who have superpowers and uh, who, uh, you know, to have like superpowers and to fight the, the evil and to, uh, you know, it's like a band of misfits who uh, decide to all, uh, to fight together against the evil. I don't know, it's like some, something that I always loved. And uh, yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite superhero? Uh, I don't have a favorite superhero, but I love uh, I love the Hulk and I love uh, uh, Mark Ruffalo uh, playing the Hulk. I love it, he's great. And do you feel doing comedy is harder or uh, drama? I, I would love to do both. What do you feel is harder? Oh, what is harder? Depends. Okay, it depends. Because, it, you know, like sometimes like people are like, oh, yeah, it's like harder to do a drama. But actually sometimes it's like organic and it's, you know, and sometimes like comedy to have like the right timing. You know, it's not, not everyone is able to do that. So, I mean, it depends. I am Lou Ferrecknow, the Incredible Hulk. How has Stanley affected your life besides the obvious? Well, he made my life because as a kid, I mean, I wouldn't be alive today with it for him because the fact that as a kid growing up, you know, I discovered his comics and I had a lot of anger. And I remember that led me to bodybuilding and fitness. If I read those comics, I would have probably done bad things in my life because I was a very introverted, angry child. But the, the comic book and reading about Stanley was an escape for me. I was like a real life Walter Mitty. And I had dreamed aspiration to follow that path, and that's what, that's what made my life. Um, superhero films have, have really become much more mainstream than when The Incredible Hulk was a television show. In your opinion, why do you think that has become more mainstream? Well, because of the social media, because everybody now wants to connect with a superhero because we know we have a lot of depression, we deal with the world problems, and people want to escape. Everyone, everyone wants to be a superhero. So when you want to come feel connected to that superhero. Why do you think Hulk is like everybody's favorite? Why do you think that everyone's so drawn to him and his character? Because the chief agent E and the way I portray the character with the extreme sensitivity and the fact not only being green because we're so beloved by every national in the world because every one of us has a little Hulk inside of us. So when we watch the Hulk, the Hulk releases our anxiety, our tension, and that little kid inside of us like, yeah. Yeah, I want to break a phone booth. I want to smash something. So it's our fantasy that we get to do, get the Hulk character for us. Now, obviously, you played the Hulk side of it, but do you personally relate more to the Hulk or Bruce Banner? Well, you got to remember, you talk about Bill Bixby. Um, you know, he was the bat, so I, I like losing a father. So I, I grew up on the show with him. 
and you know he was alive today forget about it because it'd be incredible but I learned with Bill but Bill I would say part of the success because what he brought at David Banner and then I became the Hulk it was a perfect chemistry and never be repeated what do you think is the hardest part of being an actor uh, you know something I don't have a problem being an actor with the public, I think the hardest part is the fact that I was typecast for a long time with the Hulk, but I'm breaking that typecast now because I've done over 40 films and five different TV series. So the good thing about it is that I'll be the Hulk to the day I pass on. I could, I could do uh, Tank Dawn with the Wind, but they want the Hulk. And I, no, I, no, no shame to it. Um, and then um, what's your next project? Well, I just did a comedy of Game of Thrones called Purge of Throne. That'll be coming out also, uh, you hear about the Thor film. My name's uh, Todd McFarlane, and I'm the creator of Spawn and president of Image Comics. So I just want to know why you take all my money with all your amazingness, I'm just kidding. <laughs> why do you continue to do it, and why is my garage so filled with your stuff? And all I say, go out and replicate. So I get a million more like you, I get to retire. So. I'm sure I made some pretty good down payments on some yeah, stuff no, for you. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting that uh, I do interviews, and one of the ones when you talk to people who sort of don't understand geekdom, you know, they, they ask you this, I, I, I think it's sort of an odd, at times insulting question where they go, so you get like these Trekkie fans and all this other stuff, and they go, so what's the, what's the weirdest, stupidest question somebody's ever asked you? And, and my answer is always the same. There is no bad question. Because if somebody, if somebody takes their time to be a fan and has spent some of their time and hard-earned money to basically put food on my family's table, I, I owe them a dignified answer to every single one of their questions. It may be silly to somebody else, but it's important to that fan at that point. So, and, I, and I learned some of those traits from some good people when I went to conventions when I was on the other side of the table. And I'm, I'm, one of them was Stan Lee, right? He, every person... In that 20 seconds, he makes them feel good about themselves. And I, and I had others that made me feel bad as a fan. And I go, if I'm ever on the other side, I'm going to act like that guy and that guy and Stan Lee. And I'm going to make sure that every fan I say, I say thank you to. People ask me, go, why do you say thank you to the fans? It should be the other way around. No, it's not. Because without the fans, I'm just self-indulging, right? If nobody's buying it and allowing me to make commerce off of it, I don't have a career. So I, God bless. God bless the fans. Is there, is there a specific toy that you really enjoyed, like super enjoyed making that maybe most people wouldn't expect? Uh, so it, it seems like it should be a simple answer, uh, but so I'll give you the complicated answer, uh, 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 or simple question, I'll give you a complicated answer. There's no single toy that I've done that I go, that's it, there's my Nirvana. What there are are about 10 that each one of them I could show you one piece on them that I want that's it right so so there's one where I want finally we got the hair right so that means that once you see it once you should be able to keep doing it and then somebody else we finally got the wrinkles on clothes and it looked believable to me and I went wow and then there's one where we did there's the one we did called Mandarin Spawn where they said you can't do that much detail on a, in a something that scale and we go well let's try it and it and it, and it held and so you go, not only can we do this that much detail, let's try and do more until basically the machines can't replicate it because it's too fine. So, so there's about five or six that I go, the anatomy on that, the, the, the facial likeness on that one, finally, we, we got the likeness so it looked like the actor. 
And so I want that, 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 that. Those are my eight favorites because they became the sort of the box that I was able then to give my employees and my sculptors going so it's doable because here's, here's the example. Let's just keep going. Elizabeth Bathory. Oh, yeah, and those are hard to find too. Uh, so. Well, she immediately came out of the package and all kinds of stuff all over my place. Yeah. So uh, the thing that was fun about some of those is, and, and it, it's not quite as easy to do, is it used to have like stores like Babbage's and Virgin Records and and uh, KB Toys and all these guys that you could come up with crazy stuff. It didn't have to be a TV or a movie. You could make it, and then they would buy enough that you could keep doing it, right? So uh, Clyde Barker and I did Tortured Souls. Again, it was come up with the craziest stuff you can, and and they would support it. And unfortunately, with the consolidation of retail, you can't you can't quite do the same thing anymore. It's too bad, right? All that all that cool stuff. But so here's 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 maybe the long, winding road to it. Uh, I'm about to, you know, get ready to direct the next Bond movie, right? I wrote it, going to direct it. If there's any success in it, then we all know how the city works. They'll ask me for my next 10 ideas. Some of them are those ideas that you and I just talked about that were in plastic form that I think could go on the big screen and we could have, right? There's a tortured soul movie to be had, right? So we can, we can come up with it. So I'll just be a little more patient and I'll just figure out another way to bring the art. <laughs> now, speaking of the Spawn movie, the first Spawn movie, it was kind of the first movie version, anyway, of a, a more serious tone in, in comic book movies, and also first really major where the hero was not a white man. T talk about that. <laughs> uh, it's interesting because now, you know, we live in a world that these big giant superhero movies are just the norm, right? So, and, and the Spawn movie came just a little bit ahead of that curve. The execution could have been done a little bit better. We, you know, rushed some of the special effects stuff like that. But the, uh, it's interesting because, you know, I talk to people in the black community, and they they still surprising it is to me. Go, he's still cool to us, right? Because he came out like you know when nobody else was giving us, you know, a minority superhero, somebody came forward and, and gave it. So I'm going, wow. I, I I just as a Canadian privileged white Canadian kid, I, you know, I, I didn't sort of give the same reverence to it. I just wanted to create a hero that would just be the same as everybody else. Cause I'm, let me back up. I did Spider-Man and I always wanted to do the scene. I never got around to it because I ended up quitting Marvel before that when I was writing and, and drawing it where I wanted, I wanted there to be a mugging, your classic stereotype mugging, white, white uh, Wall Street guy, black mugger. And then Spider-Man comes in, saves the day webs up the bad guy and as he's walking away the the white guy says an epitaph and says hey you know thanks for saving me from that and then he says the epitaph from that guy and and i wanted spider-man to take that wall street guy and cram him against the wall and go what color do you think i am underneath this mask because unlike superman and batman and wonder woman you don't see any skin he is covered from head to toe so why why it always struck me as odd why for 30 years did we just assume that spider-man was a white dude i like well, he could have come from another country could have come from another nationality i mean you could tell he wasn't female but again he, there's even ways to hide that and so i go no 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 if i go create my own character i'm gonna i'm gonna come up with something that just sort of bends those rules and says it doesn't matter whether you're what your nationality, religion, whatever it is, I'm just going to create a hero. My guy's covered from head to toe. 
and he's just going to do good, and good's good. doesn't matter where you come from. So. Well, and Spawn was also one of the first major superheroes that was not a true hero. He was, you know, had had a bad side kind of thing. Um, do you think that trend is coming, you know, still going to be going for a while? Or? I, I, think, I think the trend works if you do it good. I think, you know, people keep saying, Todd, do you think they're going to burn out superhero movies? Of course not. They're, you know, as soon as you do four bad movies in a row, people are going to think like, oh my God, they've ma maxed it. No, just do good versions of, of any genre. You can you can do a hundred romantic comedies and a hundred westerns and a hundred superhero movies. Just do them good, and the bad ones don't don't succeed. So, the trend. Look at the what the movie I'm about to direct. That that darkness of that movie, that was a PG-13. That was soft. That was a softball, right? I'm going into a dark. R-rated, creepy, supernatural, scary place with the next movie. So, if you thought if you thought that was that was dark, then you better strap yourself in because the next one the next one's going to make you sort of spill your popcorn a couple times because it's it's going to make you jump. Okay. Um, as a writer, what is your one piece of advice for someone wanting to get into writing comics, uh, writing generally? Uh, writing generally. Uh, if, if you don't have a lot of experience, then, uh, then there's a couple truisms in life. You know, one of them is location, location, location. It's true. Um, and, and, and stick to what you know. So um, don't, tell, don't tell any lies. My, that one's not true because we get paid in Hollywood every day to tell lies. So stick to what you know. What I mean by that is make your first couple stories be stuff that you have a lot of knowledge because you'll be able to put a lot into it and make it complex because you're not just trying to make it up. So if you don't have any knowledge of medical stuff and nobody is a doctor in your family, then, then don't make that your first story, right? If your dad's a policeman, do a cop story, right? If your mom's an accountant, do something about embezzling or something like that. So, or if you like sports, do a sports story or whatever it is, I don't care. So just, just go into the place that you know you can write all day long. Ultimately, just so everybody knows, Spawn is just me with powers. <laughs> true it's like you know he doesn't want to be pushed around by heaven or hell i'm not i'm not religious myself and 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 then it's, if you read some of the early stories he was mad at people who didn't pay alimony and people that were pedophiles i mean those are all those are all just personal todd ideas and i go what if i was a hero how would i act and then, and that's basically been me writing spawn now we're up to issue 277 now, in your writing style are you what uh george R. R. martin calls a gardener or what you nancy crest called a pantser are you a planner, or do you write it by the seat of your pants? Uh, I, uh, a little bit of both, but, but most of it's by the seat of my, my pants. Because, again, depending on what's going on around the world, I don't get to control it. Right? I'm way more concerned about the human id and how we interact with people, uh, which is why, again, in the, in the Spawn movie, once you take the, the one I'm going to direct, once you take the, the thing that you and I know is Spawn, out, the boogeyman out of the movie, Everything else in that movie is 100% real. There's no, there's no headquarters. There's no fancy cars. There's no ray guns. There's no arch villain. There's none of it. It's, it's just its own movie. And and once you get the boogeyman out, it's just a normal movie. Because why? When I was a kid, you take Frankenstein out of his movie. He was the only fantastic part, right? You take the thing out of John Carpenter's The Thing. Everything's normal. You take Megan out of or Reagan out of uh, uh, The Exorcist. There's nothing else out of the ordinary in that movie. So to me, those are the movies I grew up with.
I admit, this next one, I kind of geeked out a bit. Sorry, hold on. That's okay. Do what you got to do. Excuse me while I geek out. Never apologize. <laughs> Hi, how are you? Hi. It happens. Pleasure. Sorry. What's your name? Um, Angie. Hi, Angie. <laughs> I think my favorite part of being Queer's Folk with our the original had all the Doctor Who references. That's right. So it was well, you know, originally, um, the why that was because they called me and they were gonna because Paramount owns Showtime. You know, uh, Viacom owns Paramount. Paramount owns Showtime, and they were going okay. We maybe make it a Star Trek thing. So Doctor Who to Star Trek makes it seems linear. You know, hey, maybe he'll be a Star Trek fan and we'll use that. But they couldn't get it cleared for whatever reason. So they literally the execs called me up in the like. I think it was two o'clock in the morning, and said, "Hal, do you know anything about comic books?" And I went, "I know everything about comic books." And they said, "Okay, cool. Michael's into comic books now." And that was it. I'm dead serious. That's how it happened. And I have to say, and, and maybe I'm talking out of school entirely, but we got a when we were using comic book imagery in Michael's store and in his apartment, we got a cease and desist from a, a specific uh, two-letter comic book company. <laughs> telling us not to let anything gay happen in front of their stuff. Marvel, on the other hand, responded in the exact opposite way and said, what can we give you? We have no problems. They were so wonderfully supportive from day one of Michael's love of comic books and his relationships that they, they just went, yeah, what, whatever posters you want to put up, whatever is great. Awesome. Now, we're here to celebrate Stanley. Uh, beyond the obvious, uh, what does Stanley mean to you? Um, I think he's the reason I became a superhero. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to say that on tape, was I? Yes. I guess now in the age of I am Iron Man, you can pretty say. much get away with it. You can get away with it. Yeah. Um, but, I, yeah, in a, in a lot of ways, like jokingly, but that's kind of true. Like, I, it, I've done CPR three times in my life, okay? I've, I've been in a situation where it's been necessary. My mom's a nurse. I learned it, blah, blah, blah. But one of the reasons why I learned it and I wanted to know it and I was able to in the moment when it was needed do it was because I read the kind of comic books that Stan Lee created saying, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. If you have the chance to help, you have to. And that, it, there can't, it, it can't be separated. You can't separate the action that I carried later in life from the inspiration that he gave me when I was young. And that, and I'm not the only person that's true for. It can't be. There's, there's firemen and police officers and doctors and soldiers um, who grew up going, you know what, if somebody's in trouble, somebody's got to come to the rescue and it's going to be me because they grew up reading Stan Lee's comic books. Do you have a favorite superhero? Uh, well, I, I, Moon Knight's one of my favorites. He's not really, he's one of the most un underappreciated, I think. Um, and I loved Black Bolt from the Inhumans when I was growing up. Huge Spider-Man fan, collector of Spider-Man comics all my life. The, the Madam Web series, the uh, short run series when I was in high school was like a turning point for how I chose to behave against all odds. It probably affected the fact that I was able to come out to LA with no friends in the business, no family in the business, and make it through when other people were sent home by the rejection or whatever. I know it played a part. So Spider-Man's always been close. I love Iron Man because he's self-made in his superpowers. And I appreciate Captain America more these days than almost ever because the peaceful, patriotic love of country 
in, you know, as opposed to this veneer of narcissistic nonsense that's going on right now, is more important than ever. And I think Chris Evans is probably the best casting in the Marvel Universe right now. Because if you read what he says on Twitter, that's what Captain America would say if he was pissed and at home with his boots up. Well, I don't know if you're on Tumblr at all, but there's a running meme that Marvel, you know, casts the actual superhero. Right. They cast Captain America for Captain America and so on and so forth. I can say <laughs> personally that that's not true of Iron Man because, well, never mind. <laughs> now, um, in terms of uh, the superhero, you know, obviously when, you know, 20 years ago, it was, you know, a nerdy, more niche cult thing. Right. In the last 20 years, it's really become more mainstream. In your opinion, why do you think that's the case? Um... You could almost tie it directly to the rise of atheism because people need something emblematic of human potential. And a lot of the demigods and the deistic uh, plurality of polytheistic religions a long time ago gave people individual things to strive for. In the Buddhist uh, belief system, there's a there's a nearly a Buddha for everything. So if you need to be a to study, there's a Buddha for study, that kind of thing. And I think that a, there's a that, that's intrinsic to human nature, that, that aspirational human that ro that lines itself with your own self-vision. And if you, as people get more into science and the, the reality of life, these inspirational beings become even more important. They are the modern angels in a lot of ways for a lot of people. Awesome. And do you think we are hitting peak superhero? No. No. I think, I, I, I think the writers... Uh, who are being hired in mass quickly to crank out stuff to feed the beast um, are just not on to the best part of it yet. And and what we might see in heights as far as superheroes, we will see depth at equally coming in the next 10, 15, 20 years. And then some more personal stuff. What are you working on next? Uh, well, I'm currently doing uh, four shorts, including two fan fix to prep for a feature I'm doing next year. So I'm doing basically, instead of just doing camera tests, I'm doing four short films. Two of them are fanfic uh, superhero things, but I won't mention them until they're out. But uh, they're uh, pretty specifically amazing. And, uh, and then I'm, before, I'm singing tonight at the Whiskey for Ultimate Jam Night. Next week I'll be at the Concert for America. Um, in Atlanta, raising money for the NAACP and, and the Southern Poverty Law Center and uh, the ACLU and those kind of groups. And then, uh, then we'll see on Fuller House and those kind of show things all the time. And um, do you find doing comedy or drama harder? Neither one are, are difficult. Um, what's the hardest part of doing your job? Acting is you're renting your body out to another soul that might not be kind with it. So uh, the longer you play sadness, the sadder your biochemistry can get. It's not healthy. So people who are on drama series need to take note. Protect yourself. Go, go snowboarding every weekend. Laugh after every day at work. Go do something silly. Otherwise, it, it, it will ruin you physically. I'm, yeah. And that's it for the Extraordinary Stan Lee Red Carpet. A reminder that links to some of the people I interviewed as well as photos from the event are on my website. Thanks to each of the people I interviewed, as well as the producers of the Extraordinary Stanley event. Thanks also to Sanjay Nambier, the writer and founder of the Super Amazing Princess Heroes, for his plug. You can hear his interview in episode 24, covering this year's LA Times Festival of Books. I hope to get that interview with Nancy Chris edited in the next couple of weeks. Until next time, stay geeky. Thanks for listening to Geek Out with Angie Fiedler-Sutton. The theme song is Schoolyard Haze by Yari Pitnikin, available via the Free Music Archive. 
This podcast is released under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike License. More information about the podcast is available on AngieFSutton.com.